Well, greetings, church family. Welcome to another online service. Hopefully you're coming from a good week. I know it's been a, a heavy week for a lot of us just even reflecting on the school shooting this week, but sometimes I believe one of the best things that we can do in response is coming back to our God in worship, calling out to Him, identifying Him as the one and only healer. Let's go into a time of worship together.
into our waiting. He's everything we need. Let's sing it out.
internet people. It is so good to be with you. Worship team, thank you so, so much. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. have a couple of announcements for you guys. First of all, if there's anything that we could be praying for you for this week, we'd love to pray for you. We know that there's just stuff going on in your lives, and we would just love to partner with you in prayer. Please text any prayer request to 97,000, and we will pray for you this week. There is so much going on here at ABF. If you are interested in knowing about those things, about ministries and events going on, please check out the website. The calendar is always updated. You can get any information you need there on the website. Also on the website, if you've been blessed by this ministry, this online ministry, these messages every week, and you'd like to give financially, man, that is such a huge part of keeping this thing going. And so if you're interested in giving, you can do that online on the website under the Give tab. Uh, Man, that would be a huge blessing for us. Thank you so much for continuing to partner us in giving. Uh, Now we're going to get to our time in the Word, and I would just love to pray for that time together. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you that we get to continue to do this. Um, Thank you that these videos get to continue to go out and that people can access them so easily that your word is at our fingertips. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just use the teaching of your word today uh, in just a sweet way. Would you meet us exactly where we're at and say exactly those things to our heart that we need to hear, Lord? We pray that you just convict us and stir in our hearts now. We love you, and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, Josh. Again, welcome to our continuation in our series, working through the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 11, as you might remember, and we're in the last section of it here this week, and kind of thinking through, kind of a a processing through this whole idea of faith, and what does it mean for our life? My uh, youngest daughter, Sienna, has been on kind of a, a funny kick where she's trying to watch all of the Star Wars Uh, movies sequentially and just kind of going back all the way from the beginning, working through all of them and the little side shoot films and different things, different shows and series and all of that, trying to do it in order. It's been funny just hearing that in the background. I haven't had too much of a chance to sit down, Uh, but it's been kind of cool just being reminded of some of the old school favorite characters that I grew up with, but I didn't realize, just even in listening uh, to the, in the background, didn't realize how often that movie makes reference to the force. And there are, are tons of spiritual undertones in that film. Obviously, people, as you start to watch it, will uh, remember that fact. But it's interesting how often we connect this idea of the force as being kind of like what faith is. Something that, that we have, that we have control over by human effort, have, we have the ability to manage and manipulate God by the force or faith. But really, that's not it at all as we're growing in our understanding of it through this study. As, th- as you think about it, what it actually involves is less about human effort and more about being a gift from God. 
Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 helps us understand how all this works. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, as much as we want to take ownership of our own faith, we have to recognize that even that is a gift from God. He's the one that allows our eyes to be open to who he is and what he's done for the blinders to come off about this life and what's to come for us to finally realize that he is our one and only rescue. It takes his work behind the scenes for that to be made possible. So seeing it as a gift helps us to recognize, man, it's not something to squander because once you realize that faith is what rescues us, you realize it's not left at the cross. It's intended to be something that moves into every aspect of your life. So faith, once realizing where it comes from, what it stems from, we realize, man, it's intended to change everything. It's not just part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. I'm excited to get into this week's section as we just keep learning more and more about faith. Hopefully it's a challenge and encouragement for you as well. Let me just pray before we dive into this section. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word this week. And even as we're coming out of a kind of a a heavy week, just man, every time you're flipping on the news, seeing all of the uh, crazy fallen state of our world, God, we just call out to you for uh, the comfort that only you can provide, for the encouragement, for the peace, for the hope that your son offers through faith. God, I ask that you'd teach us in this section of scripture just to understand you better, to understand what it looks like to call out to you for rescue. We thank you for just the gift that even this time in your word is in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, picking up where we left off in Hebrews chapter 11, we're in verse 30 here today as he's going through all of these example after example in this thread of faith seen throughout the Old Testament. And it says in verse 30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. So we'll pause there. Our author is mentioning, he starts by mentioning really two more uh, just specific examples of faith and what compelled that. The first one is uh, something that the audience would be very familiar with, the story of Jericho where its walls collapse. The first one is uh, if you've done any study in the Old Testament, you've probably grew up hearing that story of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel surrounding Jericho and being told something interesting to, to march around it seven days straight and on the seventh day to march around it seven times. So 13 times around this city with the promise of deliverance of the city. I imagine it was a real act of of trust for those people. You'd almost feel foolish. Okay, here we go. Day four. What are we doing? Marching around the city. Why? I don't know why. We've been told to do it. And they circle around, circle around, exposing their weakness 
and God's greatness. And then ultimately what happens is the walls of Jericho fall. And that might not seem like such a big deal until you start doing a little bit of research and some of the archaeological finds, realizing that the walls most likely were wide enough that they did chariot races on the tops of the walls. So this is a massive fortified city that God delivered over to Israel, demonstrating his strength. How often God shows his people that overcoming enemies isn't something that means that we have to muster something up in and of ourselves, but instead it's more of the release and turning it over and trusting in the strength of our God. God, you see, delights in slaying man's pride. Definitely an example of that with the the city or the walls of Jericho. But the same time that it was requiring faith on the outside of the city, it was also requiring faith on the inside of the st- of the city. If you, if some of you were ladies were at the uh, women's tea just a couple of weeks ago, my wife got to teach specifically on the story of Rahab. Hopefully, many were blessed by that. But if you didn't get a, a reminder of that, basically this was another trust exercise. You see, Rahab the prostitute had actually welcomed in the spies from Israel, had had hidden them kind of in an exchange for her future protection. I imagine as she's waiting there within the walls of the city, actually they were told in the wall of the city, watching the Israelites march around wondering, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to rescue me? Another powerful and beautiful demonstration of faith, realizing that so often what faith requires is it requires trust and patience and waiting on the Lord. Rahab had a lot of things in that day and age going against her. First off, she was a woman. In that culture, that was not a a, a people that, that celebrated women as they should be. So she had that in that culture that was a, a, a strike, if you will, against her. She was also known, as I mentioned, a prostitute. She was also a Gentile. So three different major obstacles. But what I love is that our God is not concerned with cultural views. Instead, we see that he's a God that pursues even the prostitute in Jericho. He's a God that sees us, that, a God that, that loves us and wants to draw us to himself. I have this theory that at the end of everyone's life, if you were to rewind and play back every hour, every, every day, every week, every month, year, that you would see a story of God's pursuit in their life. I don't think there's anybody on this planet that sneaks by without him pursuing them, drawing them to himself. And we have a choice of what we do with that pursuit. Thankfully, Rahab is an example on this list as somebody that actually responded positively to God's pursuit. Joshua 2.11 describes her response to this God. She said, for the Lord your God, referring to the God of the Israelites, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. 
She placed her trust in him and risked her future on that. An example here as one of the stories of the threads of faith that's weaved throughout the Old Testament. All of these people that the audience elevated and held in high regard. He's connecting the dots, seeing that faith was the theme for each of them. Before you kind of see that he's realizing, all right, I don't have time to go into all of these stories. He even says that he doesn't have time. He doesn't have time to go into all of them, but he couldn't resist at least mentioning a few more names to be added to this list of faith heroes. You see him mentioned there, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel each of them having their own unbelievable faith story. It's so awesome as a, as a church to be able to try to invest in our kids with laying a foundation of these different stories of, faithfulness, of God's faithfulness throughout the Old Testament. That's part of even our, our regular teaching here at the church. But one of them that caught my attention, that's not necessarily, all the rest of them seem fairly familiar, Barak not as much, but the one that caught my attention that's surprising to see on the list is a guy by the name of Jephthah. You might not even know the story of Jephthah. It's not one that we typically cover, cover in our flannel graphs in Sunday school, but his story is found in Judges chapter 11. I wanted to just take a, a quick moment to highlight it because I think there's something to gleam from Jephthah's life. Jephthah, much like Rahab being a prostitute, Jephthah was the son of of a prostitute, we're told in Judges 11. He was forced at a younger age out of his family home because of that fact. His older brothers didn't necessarily welcome him in. Instead, they didn't want to share the family inheritance with him, so forced him out. He ended up living a nomadic life on the outskirts of the area where the family was at but it's interesting, we're told that he acquired or accrued a number of followers, a number of people that joined him, and that he became known as being quite an impressive warrior. Doesn't go into details about all those feats, but he was revered in the region as a pretty impactful and pretty influential guy as far as war goes. So much so that when Israel was under the threat of being attacked by the Ammonites, he was... They approached him with the invitation, will you lead the army of Israel to help protect us from the Ammonites? He agreed to do it, but it was an agreement that came at the, at the, at the negotiating of him becoming the new leader of the region in which his family was from. I imagine his uh, brothers must not have been too excited about that. But we're told in scripture that the Lord came upon him in this effort of protecting Israel from his enemies. But something interesting took, took place is when he was en route for actually fighting this battle against the Ammonites, he started to kind of waver in his faith. For the rest of us, we can actually appreciate that. And in this time of wavering, he tried to strike a deal with God. It's an interesting account and description where he said, you know, if you give me victory, and here are his words, he says, whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So 
Clearly, he didn't understand that a relationship with God is not an exchange where we have something to offer in return for God's favor. It's interesting because his, his decisive victory was followed with his return home and unbelievable torment as his one and only daughter greets him as the first to come out of his home. It's kind of a, a heartbreaking story despite his faith in leading the army to a critical victory for Israel. He'll always be known as the foolish father who sacrificed his only daughter due to a completely unnecessary vow. Kind of a dark story, if you will, but it's interesting that he's included in this list that still, even with a dark, broken past, is still elevating his faith. I would suggest, and what I always point to, is that the accounts in the Old Testament aren't necessarily prescriptive. In other words, telling you how you're supposed to live or act, uh, intended to live. They're instead descriptive. They describe what took place without necessarily celebrating the behavior. That's definitely the case in his situation. Where his, his faith was elevated, this behavior was not celebrated. You see, it's not picking and choosing which part of historical accounts they would choose to, to celebrate. Instead saying, hey, we can learn from both. We can learn from good examples and not so great examples. He's definitely the case there, a, a faith that was a work in progress. If you think about it, isn't that really our faith journey as well? Moments that you're like, man, that's, I'd like to have that on the highlight reel. And then moments that you're like, uh, that was when I was kind of faltering. I wasn't really clinging to God. Think back to a season where we were living back in Chicago. I was working at a, a larger church uh, there, working with their young adults. And we had had announcement that they were choosing kind of during a, a difficult economic stretch that the church was going to do some significant layoffs. And I had seen in my life a, a track record of God's faithfulness, just unbelievable. But it was interesting how the risk or the thought of loss just almost became this consuming thing in my life where I was just like, man, I couldn't sleep. I was getting, having a hard time eating. I was so anxious about what is God going to do with this, with this job and this provision. It's, it's, it's not a time or season in my life that I look back on as something that like, man, nice job, Scott. Instead, it's something I'm a bit embarrassed by. And you look back and you learn from those faith examples as well. Learn what not to do moving forward is as important as learning what to do. So we see these examples, continuing example after example after example of this thread of faith that God even honors flawed faith. We'll pick back up in the account in verse 33, starting to see a little bit of the outcomes of faith. It says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Basically, he's pointing, he's given all of these examples of heroes of the faith. Now he's describing some of the miraculous outcomes where God met them in their faith. 
Each story that's mentioned here would uh, immediately be a story that the audience would be familiar with. As he's mentioning, oh, lion's mouth, he's like, oh, Daniel, remember how he chose to stand up? Remember uh, the, the stories of the, the fiery furnace? He threw, oh, that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, the, all of these accounts would trigger memories of God's provision when people stepped out in faith. It's a powerful reminder of what a life of faith can look like. Some unbelievable, miraculous outcomes. I don't know about you, but I want to see that in my life. I don't want to be a a person that lives as such a a safe, sheltered life that I miss out on all the things that are the outcome from stepping out in faith. See, most often, faith requires some degree of risk which is really the exact opposite of what our world tells us we should be intended to do in our life. Our our life here in the United States is typically about what? Risk avoidance, trying to figure out how to carefully calculate everything to, to control your 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 the everything guidelines in place, uh, uh, not a dime that's not accounted for, no no surprises. But here's what happens. It's after you spend so much time and energy and effort trying to be safe, you come to realize that you haven't done or accomplished anything of lasting value. You haven't built anything. You haven't tried anything new. You haven't invested in anyone. We have to understand that faith demands some degree of personal risk. And it's not always putting your life on the line. More often than not, I would suggest that it's just putting yourself in somewhat uncomfortable situations. Just this past Sunday, I was with my daughter, Sienna. We were coming out of Panda Express there in Agora. There's an interaction where it's kind of that crossroads that you often have with somebody that's struggling. In this case, it seemed like a lady that was homeless and then got talking with her a little bit and she was just asking for a meal. And so Sienna and I went in and got to treat this woman to a, 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 a fresh meal and got to talk with her a little bit about what motivated that. We're compelled by Jesus Christ and want to demonstrate his love to her. And it's interesting just to see those little bits of, of risk, how God blesses that and honors it. And it was such a cool thing because coming out of the, the restaurant there, as we're, as we're leaving, we see at the exa- exact same time that we're starting to hop in our, our car that Ella Riser was just getting back from going to a store and picking up some resources for this exact same woman. It's cool to see when God's people are working together, taking risks, stretching themselves to be a blessing, to have an impact on the world around us, to have eyes to see, all right, God, what risk do you have for me to take today? How do you want me to step out in faith? Is it a conversation? Is it meeting a need? What risk do you have before me? That's often directly connected to the miraculous that we'll see and experience in our life. But then he explains in this next section some of the potential dangers of faith as well. Listen to what we're told. It says, some, these people acting in faith, were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. 
They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Interesting section there, fairly intense. It's always interesting to think about some of the risks involved with somebody. I always it is interesting to, to me when you see some kind of a new wonder drug that comes out. It usually has a, a list of some of the potential side effects. I find it interesting the commercials on t- TV, they try to rush those in really quick at the end of the, of the ad. So it's usually some kind of a mention of like, man, this will help with all of your stomach aches. Then at the very end of the, the commercial, it's like, yeah, but it'll also cause bleeding of the eyes. You're like, wait a second, like which, which of those is, is worse? Would I rather just stick with my stomach ache? This past fall, we were dealing, I end up dealing with a, a number of migraines that are usually induced by some kind of a food allergy. And I was taking a particular medicine that, uh, that was one that was like, would take care of the headache, but just would leave you just wiped out the rest of the day. Kind of a hard thing to do when you're responsible for preaching and uh, helping lead a church. And so really trying to figure out, man, is there something better that I could be taking? When we started digging into this particular uh, prescribed medicine for headaches, I realized that one of the things of the outcomes or the potential side effects of this medicine was getting more headaches. You're like, So I'm taking a medicine that's for headaches, but one of the potential risks is that it causes more headaches. We for sure got off of that here, and I've never felt better, praise the Lord. But here's the the idea is our God is not trying to sneak through potential risks at the end of the description. He's not trying to say, hey, all these great things and make it seem like life is going to go smooth and perfect and then a quick mention of risk. Instead, he wants that to be at the forefront to understand that, hey, if you live a life of faith and risk and stepping out, there's a strong possibility that that is going to include some degree of danger in your life. He goes through and lists a, a number of things. It's not fine print. He says it's pretty graphic. He describes a list of torture, flogging, mocking, imprisonment, stoning, stabbing, and even cut in two. Often for the believer, it's not just an absence of, of comfort. It's actually real discomfort and, and harm that comes for somebody that's committed to following Jesus Christ. And so it's a mention there, it's described clearly for the person not to think that we're just going to necessarily sneak through in life. It describes also some of the things, not just harm that happened, but some of the believers that had to live a nomadic life. I imagine he's uh, describing the uh, John the Baptist, maybe the description that's given there of what he experienced, kind of living in the wilderness, dressed in animal fur. He's describing, he doesn't want us to be surprised by anything that comes across our path. It's not something that's important for us to understand. It's not something for us to pursue. We're not looking to make ourselves uncomfortable, but we're not intended to be surprised by it. For us in our lifetime, we shouldn't be shocked at the possibility that it isn't always going to be an easy road in following Jesus Christ. But what they clung to and what sustained them through all of this was knowing 
we're told there in the text that they would rise again to a better life. Rising again to a better life. On the other side of this, we will wake up in glory. Do you believe this? Do you understand this? Do you realize that there's no guarantees? I'll tell you what, when I look at our culture, I personally think that we're not far from persecution, even in Southern California. We're, we're considered intolerant and a threat to the establishment that some of the, the truth claims that we have from the, from the word of God are no longer considered something that the culture is willing to tolerate and deal with. Just wonder what we will see in our lifetime as it relates to persecution. Here he's wanting to equip us and prepare us for that fact that there's no guarantee of an easy life. We'll have choices most likely at some point to make whether or not we compromise or we are people of faith. They knew what Paul explained to them in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We have to keep our eyes on the prize, but not shocked by some of the things that may cross our path when we are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. We'll end with these last two verses. Verse 39 says this, And all these though commended through, through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Upon first reading, I was like, wait a second, what's this talking about? The first thing you notice is that it was delayed results. That's something that in our culture, we do not like. If you think about all the things that we want to have immediate, in fact, it seems like the, the world is catering around this, whether it's Amazon getting a package to you immediately, fast food that you want your, your lunch in five minutes and are annoyed when it's any longer to that, whether it's even having, it's the new thing is even having fast food delivered to you. I mean, we want immediate results. And what we realize is that faith is often a waiting game. It's often a process of a delayed gratification. You're not going to see some of the promises of God on this side of eternity. It's interesting what it says there. It says that, it, that they hadn't received what was promised. And what did it, does it say that God provided better for us? What do you think that's talking about? I believe what it's pointing to, and most commentators agree that it's referring to what we have experience of now that they only were looking forward to then, Jesus Christ. The rescue that was offered in him, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit that we have now as part of the Christian experience. Not until now was salvation something that was looked to. It was something in the past it was looked forward to. Now, thankfully, it's something that we're able to look back to. His future rescue was made perfect in our experience now. The faith that they had was based on what would come. The faith that we have is based on what was already done. They believed in God's word, all that had been revealed to them. But there's a lot of question marks that it's awesome that the amount of detail that we have, the amount of explanation that's at our disposal of Jesus Christ, man, what a gift to be living in this time period and era. 
John 20, 29, Jesus commends the Old Testament believers. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, they had delayed results for their faith. Some of our stuff, if we're honest, is more immediate. We get to, we, we embrace Jesus Christ where we don't have to wonder what that's going to look like. We already know what it looks like to be saved. We don't have to wonder what it looks like to have the gift of the Holy Spirit upon embracing Christ. He comes up in and sets up camp in our life. Some of the benefits of being a Christ follower in this era should not be taken lightly. But my hope in this study as we're working through this chapter, is that you begin to realize that faith changes everything. Changes the outlook in which you see things. It, it changes the, the way that you interact with the world around us. It changes the, the, the hope that you have placed, not the things of this earth, but in what's to come. Realizing that it's just not a part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life and it changes everything. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. Moving from the mundane and purposeless and hopeless life to a a life with a a future that we can cling to the good things that are on the horizon. Amazing purpose that we get to be a part of rescuing other people. All of the things that are intended to be part of a life of faith. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to dig into your word and these reminders and explanations about faith, seeing real life examples, some of them examples of faltering faith and not the greatest examples uh, that we can think of, but, but others being just beautiful pictures of what it looks like to cling to you despite not seeing all of the, the future, despite not seeing all the details, God, that we love that you've called us to be people of faith and that there's a promise at the end of the line. I pray that that would be a sustaining hope even for people going into their week ahead, that they would be able to cling to the hope that they have through faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. sing together. All the poor and powerless, and all the lost and lonely, and all the thieves will come confess, and know that you are holy. you are holy and all will sing out hallelujah and we will cry out Oh
church family again thanks for being with us online obviously any way we can serve you throughout the week feel the freedom to reach out to us you can always text us at 97,000 for any prayer requests any concerns ways that we can serve you god bless you have a great day